0: Welcome to the Idea Climbing Podcast. Today's big idea is that neuroscience can dramatically increase the ROI of your marketing efforts. My guest is Mike Mosteller. Mike is known for his big brand building in the Fortune 500 space. Today, he is committed to supporting small and medium private businesses, creating strategies that result in healthy businesses, enable the owner to scale or maximize their value in a sale. We discuss why you should mix marketing and neuroscience and how to do it, one of the most powerful words to use in the conversations and your marketing copy that will attract people to you and your product or service, how to accelerate the know, like and trust factor, and other golden nuggets of advice. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for making the time to be here, Mike. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. And I'd love to dive right in. When it comes to marketing and 75 other episodes of the podcast, no one's brought this up yet. I don't know how, but you mentioned neuroscience is the key. I'd love to just jump right in right there. I mean, what is the basic fundamentals of neuroscience? Why is it the key? And I think this is going to be an awesome conversation.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I certainly enjoy uh, having the conversation, that's for sure. So one thing to keep in mind, Mark, as much as we all think we make logical decisions, it's actually relatively infrequent, like maybe 1% to 5% of the time are we making logical decisions. The part of our brain that makes the decision is called the amygdala. And the interesting thing is it does not know logic, and it does not know or understand any language. The amygdala is the part of the brain where you see images and your feelings about a product or a service or a person drive your decision to be closer to that product, person, uh, or service.
0: So how does it drive people closer?
1: <clears throat> so uh, when we think of anything for the first time, let's start there. The first time okay. someone meets you, we don't really know as human beings, we don't really know anything by itself. We know it in comparison to others. Uh, for instance, uh, when is it hot or when is it cold? I don't know. If it's 60 degrees in the springtime, I see people wearing shorts. If we're coming out of a hot summer and it's 60 degrees, I see people wearing jeans, right? Yeah. So it's, it's it's very relative uh, to where we're at. And so the first time we see anything, we immediately try to assign a a marker to them. And it's either going to be positive or it's going to be negative. Um, And that's why there's no, you know, there's no second chance to make a first impression. It really is a meaningful statement. Uh, So when we can initially position ourselves as a helpful source of answers, not as a, you know, uh, someone who's out for a dollar today, we
0: can get a positive uh, point in the subconscious of people, if you will. And could that be even if they're reading something like a LinkedIn profile, or is it just literal pictures? Oh, no. So, so pictures is a great, great word. Um,
1: There are several terrible phrases in marketing, right? My worst, my least favorite is if you build it, they will come. I can can introduce you to a thousand people who could prove that wrong, right? But one (laughs) of them that's, um, that's much better is a picture is worth a thousand words, Let's say that's wrong, right? We can't prove it. Maybe it's 800, maybe it's 1200. But we know when we see a picture, it's more than one word. Yeah. So if I ask you to read a thousand words, Mark, how long do you think that would take you? It's going to take a chunk of time. Yeah, about probably about five, five minutes or so, give or take, yeah. average person. Reading a thousand words. So if I have you excited in the first couple of sentences of those five minutes, by five minutes later, you don't feel that same excitement. You You can't feel all of that message at one time Mm -hmm. but guess what an image our brain can process an image and again it's going to go find associations from prior experiences and so it can process that in 0.13 milliseconds oh my gosh with the right image i can get you to feel 1000 words all at once with writing 1,000 words, I can never get you to feel the beginning and the ending at the same time.
0: So what do you do when you don't have the option to write, I mean, to have a picture like LinkedIn? Because I know you have success with the, on LinkedIn, a lot of success. How do you work around the fact that you can't have pictures? Well, actually, I do
1: have one picture on LinkedIn, Mark. It's in my heading. Let me tell you how this worked. I had a hunch, and it's around this concept of social proof. And uh, there's a great quote in Cialdini's book called Influence. There's a great quote about this. When we are free to do whatever we choose to do, we choose to do what we see other people do. This goes back to us walking across the plains of Africa following grandma, and she walked by a bush that had berries on it. And we know that she likes berries but she didn't eat them from this bush. Now, there were some part of the population that were call them rebels, I guess. They mm-hmm. would eat berries from that bush. But there were others who just followed grandma. Well, guess who lived and got to reproduce and has their genes still in the population today? Millions of years of followers. Because at that time, there were no textbooks. There was a time when we communicated before we even had a written language. Mm-hmm. So, each generation would have had to learn all of the pitfalls of life on its own if it didn't just follow the people in front of them. Right? We would have had to we would have had to learn that snake is poisonous because we didn't have any words, we didn't have any books, we didn't have any way to look this up on Google, which snakes is poisonous or not. Yeah. When when grandpa stayed away from that snake, you just did the same. And he didn't need words, he didn't need language, he didn't need textbooks. But that's how the knowledge was originally passed down. Do as you see me do. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like now? Well, it hasn't changed. (laughs) You know, the modern world, uh, call it even, I don't even know what the modern world is. You want to call it the last 200 years or even the last 2000 years. We haven't had enough time to devolve from the 25 million years before that. And those 25 million years have built into us that we should be followers. So back to that picture. I was curious. I used to have about eight out of every 10 people I talked to who got serious in a sales conversation. They would ask for references. Well, I put a picture up on LinkedIn. It's me in the front of a room. I'm clearly doing a business presentation. There's a couple of people with gray hair in the front of the room. And that's it. That's, That's all I did. But I kept track of that number. And it immediately fell to four out of 10 when I did that post. Oh my gosh. You and I both know. Nobody said, Oh, I need to check references. Oh, wait, but there's that picture. No, that's not how it works. How it works is everyone has a subconscious checklist that they're going through as they're building trust. And I was checking that trust box. Oh, okay. He's clearly, he can, you know, he's presenting. These people care what he has to say. He's worth 15 minutes to talk to for me. Right, and so, but I was able to build that trust just through that image alone. And that wasn't a post, correct? It, no, that's my. It's my uh, banner. I leave it up there. Oh, the banner, yes, got and it. That, so my banner has an image of me, which it didn't before. It was plain without that. It was exactly what it is today without that that picture. So that was the only change that I made, and all of a sudden, my requests for uh, testimonials fell in half.
0: Well, another thing I like that you said is because is a powerful word during conversations, especially marketing and convincing conversations, if you will. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: It's it's one of my favorite uh, consumer behavior studies. They literally at a university, they they faked a line at a copy machine. And so they might be the first three or four people. And then there's like two or three people who are actually waiting in line. Might be number five and six, and then another member of the of the research team comes up next, and they would ask if they could get in, li- if they could move and forward in line, and the response rate was a certain number when they just asked, but when they said, "Can I get in? Can I jump in front of you?" because uh, I have to turn this in in the next twenty minutes, can I get in front of you because I need to pick up my son, can I get in front of you because all of a sudden the number skyrocketed. So they played around with this, and it turns out there were some wild examples of what they said. And the because had nothing, absolutely no reason why you should let them in front of you in line. You know, I'm making it up, but Mark, you know, can I get in front of you in line? Because I really like brown dogs. I mean, literally like random comments. And they they were way more productive by saying because even with something ridiculous behind it than they were just by asking. So we've obviously from then it's been tested over time. And when we say, because we're leading people into the answer, rather than leaving them to find reasons why it's wrong. We don't, we don't leave that thought open for them to pick at it. We just say, because Mm. we explain it and they move on. And for the most part, it doesn't get challenged. So how does that apply to marketing copy? Oh, it's (laughs) it's fabulous. (laughs) It's fabulous for marketing copy. Simply inserting the, because you, you can get people to accept your claims, whatever they are. Um, you know, uh, this is this is healthier because we use H seven re- reactivating molecules. I don't know what that is; doesn't exist. I just made it up. But because you said because people are more less likely to challenge your claim that whatever you're making, we're a better cleaner, uh, we're faster than others, whatever that is. When you use the because, you're more likely not to get challenged.
0: This is awesome so far. But what are some other examples of neuroscience and marketing? Well, while we're on words, let's go back and, and
1: cover this piece because it's really the most important. It goes back to this amygdala and these images we talked about. So one of the most powerful things you can do in marketing is to get potential users or clients to picture a happy space And burn it into their memory that involves you or your product or service. So my favorite word is the word imagine. Mm. Because that's what the amygdala is. It is our imagination. So imagine, Mark, what would it feel like next year when your business is twice as large, but yet you've got 10, 10 hours back every week. Imagine what that looks like. That's a lot more powerful than me saying, Mark, next year we can double your sales and and you can get another uh, hour back each day or whatever, 10% of your time back, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you something and you can dispute that and and your subconscious is disputing it, even if you're not consciously disputing it. But if I tell you to imagine what it will be like for you rather than me tell you that, Mm -hmm. now you've created that picture. In your mind, you have seen yourself in a future state and you are happy. And I am part of it. That goes a long way in a marketing
0: conversation. Well, it goes a long way, I would imagine, for a LinkedIn profile or a marketing message that's written. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a voice sorry conversation.
1: Doesn't have to be a voice conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Imagine, um, you know, ask people what you know. What would it look like in twelve months? Uh, what uh, What would you do with an extra hundred thousand dollars? Don't say I'll save you a hundred thousand dollars. Ask them mm-hmm. what would you do with another hundred thousand dollars? Now they're picturing what is most important to them, right? You didn't say, "Hey, I, we can get you a nice fancy car and and pay off half of your second mortgage," right? That might not be what's important to somebody. <laughs> somebody might be out there, hundred thousand bucks. I can go start a new business. I can go after this idea I had. You know, whatever that looks like. Um, I can retire a year earlier. I don't. Whatever. Um but whatever it means, whatever means the most to them is the blank that they're going to fill in in their own mind,
0: not whatever you come up with and you think they should do with the money. So many people, from my experience, at least do that wrong because they assume, oh, $100,000 means or if you double your business, then you can have a bigger house or some, just something and they fill in the blanks. And the person. I would imagine that that could be discour- the, the opposite of what you're talking about because then they just go, ah, I don't care about that. Never mind. I'm moving on. The one
1: thing I promise you is people know their own dreams better than you know them. (laughs) So just let them fill in the blank. They're going to do all the hard work for you. You don't even have to guess. How did you discover this? Oh, boy. Uh, I've been reading consumer behavior studies as a former economics student since the 90s. Uh, And then over time, I, I got introduced to the concept of neuroscience and how it plays. And I was totally hooked. Uh, I started to see it all come together between these studies that I had read about where we didn't quite understand why some of the activities happened. They just, we know that they did occur on a statistically significant basis. And then my neuroscience studying, now I can understand and explain all of the whys behind the behavior that people are taking. And You know, you have to understand evolution, right? We talked about grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, <clears throat> you have to understand a little bit about economics, um, preferably the the um, non-academic economics, right? The decisions people make that we don't think they should make, right? Mm-hmm. From the academic standpoint, those who have read or heard of free economics or super free economics, you're familiar with what I'm talking about. But really, understanding people's decision-making models and understanding our evolutionary uh, imperatives. And then layer in that uh, that neuroscience and you really tell us the whole picture and it, uh,
0: you start to understand all of the whys as well. Talk a little bit more about that. What do you mean specifically with the whys about behavior?
1: Oh, yeah. So, I mean, people do some silly things. Uh, and why is that? Well, the why, we, we talked about one of them already. We follow other people. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, you know, someone takes some financial advice that was maybe from a guru and that guru was advising maybe 5% of your portfolio should go do this, but you decide to do 100% of your portfolio on this risky thing. And it doesn't make sense why you would do it um, from, a, from a risk standpoint. But from the fact that you had respect for this expert, you basically held them in esteem like we did 25 million years ago, grandma, and you followed them and you followed their advice. And so there's countless, uh, you know, probably war stories of people who have done that and look back and they're like, I don't know why I made the decision. Only other people were doing the same thing.
0: Well, it sounds like, and tell me if I'm on the right track here, that using neuroscience, it's extremely can accelerate the no like and trust factor or cycle, whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. Does that be true. And I mean, Absolutely. why is that true?
1: Yeah. The, I mean, so no like and trust. Take that all the way back to Aristotle, right? There's not too many new ideas today, right, Mark? Yeah. <laughs> right? So Aristotle had his form of persuasion. It wasn't no like, and trust. It was ethos, pathos, and logos. Uh, and so with neuroscience and understanding people and where they're coming from, you can build that ethos, that understanding, and that um, sameness um, between you and another person And so, for instance, that sameness, uh, also in Cialdini's book, Influence, definitely buy it, read it, folks. Um, He talks about unity and how we talk about no, like, and trust. There is a chapter in that book about liking. Okay. But he shows and demonstrates later that this concept of unity far exceeds the power of liking so we look for no like and trust Mm -hmm. and we talk about that all the time i'm actually looking for what's called unity example from the book um nazi training er, or nazi facility you know camp horrible i I hate the story but it shows the power of the of this uh, of unity so someone tried to escape from a nazi prison camp they lined up all of the men, and they're going to shoot that every tenth one. Everybody has to get punished in this case. That's how they do it. So, soldier, one, two, three, four, eight, nine, ten, boom. Eight, nine, ten, boom. Eight, nine, ten, pause. Goes to number eleven, boom, and then continues. And his peer, after it was all done, he's like, "Dude, what did you do?" I mean, this—we're talking Nazi Germany. You don't disobey orders. If someone says ten, it's ten. I mean, mm-hmm. precision and and whatnot. And so he he said he said. He is from my hometown. He didn't say we are friends. He didn't say I like him. He didn't say he helped my parents out one time. We're from the same hometown. Unity. It wasn't that I like him. It's that I felt like him, the soldier said, essentially, as we, as we, you know, interpret that today. So the fact that they had something in common, some sort of unity, that was stronger than the orders he was given. And... again, it was, it was just that they were from the same town, not that they were on the same baseball team or anything
0: else. So is that why you try and find common ground with people Is unity? Unity. That's what we want to show is unity. Absolutely. And is that any kind of, because I know sometimes people talk about networking, like, oh, I like the white socks. Oh, I like the white socks too. As opposed to, well, that's, that's nice that you like the white socks, but is that going to affect a business in your mind? Is that going to affect a business decision because it's such a social exercise and it's not talking about, oh, we're, we have the same goals in business, or I like what you're doing in business. Is so it even worth doing, or should you skip the fluff? Or would that just be considered fluff? Absolutely not fluff. Okay.
1: You are getting bonus points from that person for being like them. Again, all subconscious. They're not yeah. mar- marking this on a chalkboard anywhere, but subconsciously you're saying we are like each other. And so when they, when they get ready to hire somebody, well, I'm going to hire the people I, I'm like, as long as I assume you know, relatively equal service for price. I'm going to mm-hmm. definitely hire people that I, I feel closest to. And again, that unity, if that's what the
0: decision comes down to, that unity will outpace someone just liking you. We've covered a lot of material in a short period of time. If someone says, okay, I'm interested in neuroscience and marketing, what I want to get started. If you were to say, do this one thing, if nothing else, to get started, whether it's reiterating something you've already spoken about or something we haven't touched on yet. If you were to say, at least do this, what would you tell them to do? In, in your conversations, I want you to take notes
1: from the other person's perspective. That's the number one, step one, that I encourage everyone to do. Think about what's going on in the other person's mind. Um, the Sandler training folks, for those who know Sandler Sales, they've got this great diagram that shows the salesperson's journey as well as the client's journey and how they are totally opposite and they're going in opposite directions. As the salesperson wants to close that deal, gets closer and closer to closing, that's when the clients starts to push back. But in the early days, when the client wanted more information, they were all excited and they were almost pushing the sales conversation. So, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense now that I see that. Um, But it's not something that I had thought of. So anyway, I encourage people always, Think about the other person's perspective. Where are they at? And um, if you want to go one step beyond that, but again, start there. If you want to go one step beyond that, I do recommend Robert Cialdini wrote the book Influence uh, 84, maybe something like that. It's still Mm -hmm. one of the top 50 books you see in any business books uh, recommended. Um, He's fabulous. He's still on LinkedIn today. I still see lots of his posts go through. Oh my gosh. It's always worth stopping and, and, and reading them. There's a lot of good value
0: there. Well, speaking of online, if people want to find out more about you, where's, where's the best place to go? Best place to go is bbpgrowth.com.
1: That's uh, for Buckeye Business Performance. Uh, <clears throat> happy to answer any questions there. Go ahead, grab a 15-minute call, and you can schedule it right from there and just tell me that you heard heard me on uh, Mark's show And I'll be happy to, you know, give you 15 minutes of my time to work through any of this with you or give you a starting point or an expanded
0: reading list. That is gracious. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for the time, Mike. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I also hope that you'll subscribe to the Idea Climbing podcast and rate us on iTunes. Visit ideaclimbing.com to learn more about idea climbing and hear more episodes about mentoring marketing, and big ideas.